About 40 or 50 years ago, uh, Dr. Tomatis, Dr. Alfred Tomatis, an audiologist that lived uh, in France, was confronted with the dilemma of his life. He was a consultant for people that had lost their hearing and one man, an opera singer, pretty well known in the country at the time, had come to him to have his hearing, he thought, corrected. The problem, said the singer, was that he was not able to hit the pitches that he could hit before. He was working harder, pushing with his voice, but felt like he was not hitting notes that were easier for him to hit earlier in his career. He'd been to several ear, nose, and throat specialists. All of them had concluded it was a problem with his throat. Dr. Dr. Tomatis was not so sure. He had a theory, and the theory uh, was that the voice cannot reproduce what the ear cannot hear. So he thought there might be a problem with the singer's hearing, and he began a series of tests. Using a meter, he was able to discern that when the singer sang his concerts, he was producing decibels up to 140 decibels. Now, to give you kind of the lay of the land, a normal conversation like the one I'm having with you is about 60 decibels. If you run a lawnmower, it's about 90. If you go to a loud rock concert, it's about 120, unless it's a Metallica concert. And 140 decibels is a jet fighter pilot taking off of an aircraft carrier. When the noise is coming from your own skull, it can be even louder. And so they began even more tests and discovered that the singer's middle ear, the muscle in his middle ear, was beginning to break down because of the decibels that he was producing in his own concerts. In other words, he was nearly deaf by the sound of his own voice. A couple of weeks ago, I suggested to you that the church today was unable to speak to the culture largely because we had lost our hearing. We did not know how as a whole, there are exceptions, thank God, but as a whole, we had lost the capacity to hear God and then to hear other people. And so when it came time to speak, we had been robbed of our speech. In other words, I'm beginning to wonder if we've been robbed of our speech by the sound of our own voice. I wonder if how much of the conflict that we feel in our culture today is not really a conflict between ideologies or politics or even ethnicities or even religions. I'm beginning to wonder if it's a conflict of voices. And one of those voices is loud and aggressive and busy, analytical, sometimes hypersensual, 
sometimes angry. That voice is judgmental and critical of things. It's loud and hot, quick-tempered, overpowering, dismissive. And there's another voice that comes from above that we cannot hear because our own voice, our collective voice, is too loud. Let me say it differently. I don't believe that there is any one religion in our country right now, but sometimes it feels to me, there, that's the safest way to put it today, it feels to me as though there is an unofficial uh, set of beliefs that the culture as a whole has adopted. They might be things like fairness, all people are created equal. That was an apostle that said that, wasn't it? Um, it might be tolerance. It might include tenets of affirmation. But together, if you put society together, there is a collective voice. In other words, the problem is not that we have to learn how to listen. We already are listening, but to whom and to what? When you have an important decision to make, how do you make it? Who do you ask? When you have a conversation or a debate about a popular subject over coffee someday, whose thoughts are you channeling? Whose ideas have become your ideas? When you go to act tomorrow, what assumptions will drive your actions? What voices are informing your behaviors? Do we even know? Maybe because that voice is so loud, um, we, we can't hear another one. Jesus said that we don't live by food alone, people. He said we live by every word that comes out, literally, that goes through the mouth of God. And by the way, uh, that, last I checked, is a present participle. So it means that that voice is continually speaking. In other words, if we want to be alive and spiritually alert, we must learn how to listen to the voice that is continually speaking. This is big news because some of you have said, I don't think God is ever speaking to me. Well, according to Jesus, he is continually speaking to you. You, you, even you. You may not hear that voice, but don't mistake that for silence. 
He could be speaking to you in dialects, in ways that you do not know. So part of listening to God is getting in the posture that helps us to listen because our lives are so packed and busy there isn't time for listening to something that isn't audible and it's invisible. Posturing is simply about changing the things we do and how we do them so that we're more likely or sensitive to hear God speak. Now, of course, God is speaking in dozens of ways. But I think I can lump these ways into two big categories, internal and external. When God speaks to us internally, it is often through a quiet voice that comes from within. So everything internally depends on us being in position to hear that voice that is going to rise from within. This is why people who listen for God's internal voice go through a series of disciplines like silence and solitude and meditation and study and prayer and journaling. What they're trying to do is not call God into their mind. They realize that God already is in their mind. They're trying to call other things out of their mind. They're trying to get out of their mind. <laughs> in order so they can hear God's voice who is all the while in their mind. So that internal voice is all about readiness and purity and piety and disciplines that open us up for something that will rise from within. External voices are completely different. They are often sources or events that happen around us all the time. And we have almost no control over these voices. Some of them are not even welcome. And when they happen, God is speaking through those things that we cannot control, trying to get us to listen. I think if other people were there in the room, they would see the same thing we saw. But the meaning of it is hidden, usually, for the person God is targeting at the moment. This should not surprise us. This happens all the way through Scripture. You already know this. I'm just reminding you. He spoke to Noah through a dove with a branch in its mouth. He spoke to Abraham through a smoking cauldron, Genesis 15. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Gideon through a fleece. He spoke to Abimelech through a dream. Abimelech wasn't even waiting for God to speak to him. He spoke to Jeremiah through an almond tree. He spoke to David through a prophet. 
He spoke to Zechariah through an angel standing alongside the altar. He spoke to Peter through a miracle. He spoke to Paul through a blinding light. Are you starting to pick up a pattern here? If God is everything you say he is, he has absolute control over all things. And he is therefore able to fill those things with his mouth that is continually talking. Anytime he wants. He spoke to Balaam through an ass. But since there's fourth graders in the room, we'll call them donkeys. This is a great story. The background of the story is that uh, Israel is growing and expanding. And there's a king of a country named Moab. His name is Balak, and he's afraid. As he looks out and he sees the Israelites like growing like fungus all over the earth, he gets nervous. He says, pretty soon they're going to come and take my territory. And so he summons the services of a prophet named Balaam. Now, prophets like Balaam were not Christian prophets. It's pretty important you know this. They were more like uh, soothsayers or magicians. They were people that used any and every religion in order to discern what the gods were trying to do. So they would study the stars. They would study the movement of flocks. They would take animal parts, literally dissect animals and separate the organs and they would study the organs because they believed that the gods had somehow hidden their intentions inside of wind currents and inside of animal organs. And by studying these things, they were able to ascertain what the gods were going to do. And Balak needed that kind of power. And so he sent a message to Balaam one day. He said, go tell him that I'll pay him a lot of money if he will come over and put a curse on these Israelites because they're growing too fast. And Balaam receives the envoy and he hears the offer. He says, oh, me think about this. Spend the night, guys, and then I'll tell you in the morning what we should do. And so during the night, Balaam, who will talk to any religion, has a conversation with Yahweh. <clears throat> Yahweh says, you better not go. He wants you to curse people I've blessed. That ain't going to end well for you. That's a rough paraphrase. So he wakes up the next morning, says to the envoy, I had a conversation with the Israelites' God. I know his intentions. I'm not going. So when Balak gets word of this, he's upset. He ups the ante, sends another envoy to see Balaam and says, go tell him that I'll give him anything within my kingdom up to half of my palace. He should not let price be the subject. I need his services. So they go back to Balaam a second time and say, well, the offer just went up. 
You're not going to be rich. You're going to be filthy rich if you will come and provide these services. Balaam says, how can I do what Yahweh will not support? But while you're here, let me go back and I'll ask him again. That night he has a conversation with Yahweh and Yahweh says to him almost in a voice of relenting, all right, go. So the next morning he gets up and he saddles his donkey. <laughs> That's the Chevrolet back in those days. And he sets out on a road. He's got a couple of servants with him. And part way down the journey, the donkey looks out and he sees an angel that is standing in the middle of the road and he's got a sword in his hand. So the donkey does the only reasonable thing. He veers off into the field. And when Balaam gets this, he gets angry and he beats that thing and steers them back on the road again. He takes a few more steps and they're moving in between this narrow passage where there's walls protecting two vineyards on either side of the road. And when they get in the middle of that little narrow passage, the donkey sees the angel a second time and he just kind of slams himself against the wall and he crushes Balaam's foot. Now he's super mad. So he takes him and he beats him again. He steers him back on the road and gets him going down a few more times, a few more feet. And this time he looks ahead and he sees the angel the third time. And when he sees him, there's no place for the donkey to go. So he just sits down. And Balaam is filled with rage and he just starts beating his Chevrolet saying, see, this is why I should never have bought you. And then the donkey speaks. In Hebrew. And he's been counting. He says, why'd you beat me these three times? You've been counting? He still can't contain himself. Balaam is filled with rage. He says, because you've made a fool out of me. If I had a sword right now, I'd kill you with this. The donkey must have looked ahead and saw the angel and thought to himself, hot shot, if you want to kill me, why don't you borrow his? If he don't kill you first. And then you can get what you want. Donkey responds instead in a far more amicable way and says, Am I not your own donkey? Have I ever done this to you before? And in a remarkable way, the man is talking back to the donkey. <laughs> and he says, 
no. And right when he says it, Balaam looks up and he sees the angel. Sword in his hand. Now he's starting to get it. Uh-oh. And the angel says to Balaam, why'd you beat your donkey? If you would have kept riding, I'd have killed you and let him live. Balaam wisely takes a knee and he says, all right, that's enough. I'll turn around now and I'll go the other way. And the angel says to him, no, I want you to keep on going, but don't say anything I don't tell you to say. So when he arrives to see Balak, Balak is beside himself. He's finally going to get his wish. Balaam is going to come and he's going to curse the Israelites. Balaam says to Balak, build an altar and then I will know what the Lord says. And so they build an altar and when the altar is built, Balaam turns around, goes over, and he doesn't curse the Israelites. He blesses the Israelites. Balak is upset. He says, I paid you to curse them and you bless them instead. Come over here. I'm going to show you another place. And they stand on top of a mountain. They look down over the vast field. They see thousands of Israelites. And he says, now curse them. And this time, Balaam goes into a blessing that's even longer. <laughs> and finally, Balak is beside himself. And he says, you know what? Just shut up. Stop talking. Don't bless them. Don't curse them. Just get out of here. I was going to pay you in order to curse them, but all you can do is bless them. And then a strange thing happened. Balaam, this prophet who had used the altar and the incantations he had known from his own trade to apprehend Yahweh's voice, God used a pagan's practices to speak to the pagan. <sighs> Balaam turns and he looks to the desert and he realizes that Yahweh is pleased when his people are blessed. And so the Bible says the spirit of the Lord this time came over Balaam. He didn't need an altar. He was overcome by the Holy Spirit. And he began to prophesy this time with a blessing that was even longer. Whew. The end. Is that not a great story? Come on, church. This is better than Disney. This is really good. There's a couple of things that I hear here, and I'm almost done. One is that God is capable of using things you would not think to speak to you. And two, when he speaks to you, 
God is capable of saying things you don't like. God is capable of using donkeys who are slow, stubborn, uncooperative, inconvenient, frustrating. And when he uses these things, our tendency is to eliminate them. To just say, if I had a sword in my hand right now, I'd kill you. That's not a good time to say amen, Zen. <laughs> I'll give you the nod in the second brother, and then. <laughs> I love that brother. I, I love this. I love, I love, I saw him just a couple days ago in his house, and I love this guy. But it's coming. I'm not, yeah. God can use people and events and sources to say things to us that are wildly unpleasant. And because they're unpleasant, the first thing we think is, I got to get through this. I have got to survive this. If I cannot overwhelm it with my power, or if I can't outsmart it with my brains, I've just got to hold on because someday this will pass. And when this passes, I can get back to hearing God's voice. We do not realize that sometimes when we end these frustrations, we abort the conversation God is having through the donkey. And we don't realize if we keep doing that, we are sometimes headed toward our own ruin. If your donkey would not have stopped, I'd have killed you and let him live. We have to be careful, real careful. We do not overpower and outsmart obstacles. Like what? Well, when most of us think about how God speaks to us in external mediums, we often think of pleasant things like worship, nature, miracles, prophets, smart people, books. But is it possible that God uses harsh things, stubborn things, mule-like things as well, such as circumstances? People. I had a had a woman in my first church. Mm. I'd be halfway through a sermon, and she would stand up and say, "Just wouldn't say." She would just stand up and just start singing. Makes me love everybody. Makes me. She would hold her hand. Love everybody. was thinking, ain't too much love happening in my body right now, honey. I'm halfway through a salient point. You need to sit down and put a lid on it. 
she would go by my car and she would slide Robert Schuler books in my car. I called my dad one day. I said, can you believe this? She is putting some heretic in my car, on my seat. My dad very wisely on the phone said, what do you think she is trying to say? I said, it does not matter what she's trying to say. <laughs> she has a bad theology. You don't listen to heretics. Then he said, better yet, what do you think God is trying to say through her? <laughs> she's your donkey. She is a pain in your neck, but she is saving your life. You just don't know it. Sometimes God can use interruptions. Sometimes God will use criticism. And some of you cannot hear that voice because you have been nursed on affirmation. And you don't know. You will later, but you don't know. The wounds of a friend are more faithful than the kisses of an enemy. But you'd prefer the kisses of an enemy because you're fragile and you can't take it. Sometimes God will use pain. He will use failure, disappointment, loss. Sometimes he will use boredom, routines, what we call work. <laughs> he is speaking all the time. But it's like we are tone deaf to these things. We just want to get through them. And when he speaks, God is capable of saying things that you do not want to hear. Words of affirmation and encouragement, we all want to hear those. And that's mostly what we hear today. How valuable we are, how loved we are, how we should hang in there, how others are against us, but God is always for us. It's okay, the comeback's even better. All of those things, and God will say all of those things, but I have found people, he will also correct me and rebuke me. Once I heard a voice say, you are saying what you do not know. You should stop talking right now until you know more. I was slandering him. I was mad at him. Once while walking across a field by myself, he said to me, you are right to be angry, but you should watch what you say. You just dishonored me in front of your friends. Never let that happen again. I didn't sense that he was livid. I didn't think he was going to curse me, but I knew it was him, and I knew what I did. 
God will affirm you, but can you tell me the last time he rebuked you? Sometimes God will give us words of instruction or words of guidance. Once I heard him say through the scripture, Steve, you need to learn the economy of speech. Now, some of you are like, boy, was that ever the truth. (laughs) He didn't mean shortness, I don't think. Obviously, I don't think it. (laughs) He meant the power of words. Words have consequences, even the flippant ones. And you reproduce them too fast. Once he said to me, I know you are stressed, but I will do my work and you must do yours. Only be careful it is your work that you're doing and not somebody else's. That was so powerful I jumped out of the bathtub and wrote it down. (laughs) Ran through the house, voice the paper. Sometimes God will speak words of prophecy. I was right over there in that chair in the dark room five or six years ago when out of the thin blue air I thought I heard you will lose a lot of staff. I did not know why I heard this. I had no reason to think it. Everything was perfect. I remember my first impulse was fear. I started calculating who that might be, and I said, who will this be? There was no answer. I went back to that chair morning after morning after morning for clarity. That's all I heard. Finally, I heard, you do not need to be afraid, but you should be prepared. (laughs) And within a year, five staff had left. Here's what I recommend. If you're more extroverted and you need external signs because that internal voice is just too quiet and you can never seem to get in touch with that, here's a few things you might do. One is open your life up to both experiences, the positive and the negative. Remember what Job said. Shall we accept good from the hand of the Lord only and not evil? Remember the writer of Ecclesiastes, when times are good, rejoice. When times are bad, consider that God has made one as well as the other. When you divide your life into positive and negative experiences and only welcome the positive ones, you are missing a full half of your life. So stay open, don't block it, don't resist it. You don't have to like it, but you have to absorb it and you have to dialogue, you have to move or dance with it as you go forward. Second, stay fully present. 
Whenever you are in a conversation, be in that conversation and not the last one. How did I look? What are they thinking about me now? Or the next one. Oh, I've got this meeting in 15 minutes and I've got to get through this. What is the person really saying to you now? And why are they saying that and not something else? Third, be humble. Ask better questions. Some of you are in the habit of just speaking something as true until you find out it isn't. Stop. Listen more than you speak. And finally, and you extroverts ought to love this, get in a small community and talk out loud about what you think God said. Introverts often hear the voice of God in solitude. Extroverts almost always hear it in community. It's what is the community doing? If I get in it, that is the will of God for me. Ask yourself in that circle, what was God saying? What was really happening this week in that meeting or what's going on inside of me? And listen to the voice of others around you. Now, Father, first, I am so grateful that you speak to us. I long for your words, for your truth, more than I want food. Yeah, you bring such clarity, such power and resonance to my life when you speak. Congregation, would you pray alongside me in your own words while I pray this? Spirit of Jesus, I thank you that you do speak to me. And even though I've only heard a fraction of what you've been saying, what I've heard has changed my life. It has been powerful and clarifying, and I want to hear more. <laughs>